I was at a conference a few years ago, and I'm sitting down with the um, the head of the Southwest Airlines Rapid Rewards Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, he was on a panel at an industry conference, uh, and the executive uh, who was at Chase when he negotiated the deal with the with Southwest Airlines. Uh, at the conclusion of my panel, you know, we're all shaking hands. Good job, nice to meet you. I said, I have a question. I, I said, every year or every other year, I'll sign up for two Southwest Airlines credit cards, and that'll give me the the companion pass plus about two thousand dollars worth of credit be spent on Southwest. And the next year, my wife will do it. And we've been doing it like this for 10 years. So for the last 10 years, both of us have had a companion pass. That means we get two free tickets every time we book something. Am I like your worst enemy, I asked him? Can you imagine having 20 credit cards and it's a good thing? This story is phenomenal. We covered everything you can know about credit cards. I personally had a consultation with him after the episode where we went through which credit cards I have. Meet Jason Steele, hear his story, and hear how he can help you. Enjoy this week's episode. Being a Jew? Awesome. Managing personal finances? Not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Okay, an entire episode on credit cards. Jason, we met at a conference last month and we googled you you seem to know what you're talking about so first of all welcome to the kosher money studio tell us who you are what you do and why do we think you're the right person for this job i'm jason Steele. i am a freelance journalist a expert on credit cards a consultant i produce a conference for fellow credit card experts and i've been doing this since 2008 how did you get into the credit card space and we'll sort of walk through your story yeah it was kind of funny i was working in the computer industry and i had a job contracting for the federal government and they were really underutilizing me they maybe gave me an hour or two of work every day but i still had to show up at the office so my you know the people around me were playing video games and watching sports videos i was reading about what interests me which is travel and personal finance and what i found was that some of the advice I was seeing was not very good. They were saying, you know, to save money on luggage fees, pack less. And I was like, oh, come on, that's kind of ridiculous. So I started my own blog uh, and it was a spectacular failure. Nobody read it. But one day I decided to Google um, paid blogging. And it turns out a lot of people with successful blogs were looking for additional content. And so I started writing about personal finance. Uh, Credit cards were one of the first outlets uh, I started writing about or one of the first areas I started writing about. And it seemed like there was a very strong demand. Uh, within a year, companies were contacting me and saying, hey, I've read your work. Would you contribute to our site as well? So by 2011, I was laid off of my job in computers. Big surprise. They didn't mm-hmm. have any work for me. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to go all the way with, with writing. And soon after that, I, I started writing not just general personal finance, but I started focusing on credit cards and how people can best use credit cards be it for award travel, which is my personal hobby, uh, or for paying off debt, or managing their finances, or gathering benefits, or whatever their goals are. So I, I think we can probably spend three to four hours, and we wouldn't even be we wouldn't even be scratching the surface as it relates to credit cards. But you mentioned award travel. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know what that is. What is it, and is it dangerous? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so award travel is when you pay for your your reservation, be it a flight or a hotel, uh, possibly even tours or rental cars, with points or miles, which are uh, par- a currency created by a loyalty program, like a frequent flyer program or a hotel rewards program. There's nothing dangerous about it. Uh, it's profitable for the companies that offer it, uh, and consumers, of course, enjoy traveling for free. 
why is it profitable for the companies? And if everyone listening to this took advantage of it, wouldn't they just shut this down? Not at all. In fact, you know, there's hundreds of millions of, of members of, of many of these loyalty programs. So, you know, the vast majority of people who board a flight have given their frequent flyer number. So we're already at that point where, I mean, when you stay in a Hyatt, it practically begs you. There's like literature there to sign up for their loyalty program. So it's not a secret. They're, they're actively promoting it. And the word loyalty probably describes their motivation. Uh, for Hyatt is a great example. I'm loyal to Hyatt. If I have the opportunity to stay at a Hyatt, I will stay there because I have their highest tier of their rewards program. I get benefits like free parking, free breakfast. Uh, they waive resort fees. Uh, they give me a late checkout. All because I'm loyal to them. Not only that, of course, they give me points. And if I can redeem the points to stay uh, by myself or with my family for free, I'm a very happy guy. So if I don't travel and I don't travel much, does this mean I'm out of the game, right? I, I don't care for airlines. I don't care for hotel stays. I like to stay home. Let's say I'm introverted. Does this mean that this conversation is not relevant to me? Not at all. I mean, in fact, that would describe pretty much everyone in the years 2020 and 21. Right. We all stayed home. We all stopped traveling. Uh, for people who don't travel, and it's sometimes easy for people in my field to, to uh, forget that there are many people like you who just don't feel like traveling. There's also other things you can do. There's, there's um, cash back rewards, for example, is probably the best non-travel thing you could do. So you could easily, if, if you knew what you were doing, it'd be very easy to get at least 2% cash back on all your credit card spending and potentially a lot more than that. How do you balance the danger of racking up credit card debt with the opportunity to rack up points and miles and perks and cash back? Sure. Well, I mean, the first rule of this um, hobby is you, you always avoid interest by paying your credit card in full. And it's it's such an important rule that I think a lot of bloggers, a lot of speakers, they just presume it. About half of American credit card users avoid interest by paying their balance in full every month. And about half of them will carry a balance either all the time or part of the time. So the half that carries a balance should not be using reward cards. Reward cards will have a higher annual percentage rate, a higher interest rate uh, than similar non-reward cards all the time. So if I have a friend and they're telling me, yeah, I'm struggling to pay off my credit card bill, but I really want to earn rewards and I really want to do free travel, I say, no, 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 no. Let's find you a 0% a APR balance transfer offer. Let's work on your budgeting. Let's pay off your credit card debt. And your goal when you're there, when you're consistently paying off your credit card debt, then we'll talk about reward cards. You call this a hobby, but for mm -hmm. you, outside of blogging, theoretically, can you make a living on the ability to find the highest cash back on purchases, points, hotel stays, things of that nature, airline miles. Is that is that even is that something that's more than a hobby? Well there I have met people who have done that for a living. I've also met a guy last weekend who threw playing cards for a living. So you can make a living just about out of anything. Right. The number of people who make a living earning cashback rewards is, is probably, you can count them on your fingers. Uh, and I don't recommend it. I don't even want to be one of those people. Uh -huh. uh, for me, I enjoy writing about credit cards and I make a good living as a, as a writer. I 
consultant, conference producer. But no, no, no. I would never recommend anyone quit their job and start earning uh, cash back and support their family that way. Uh, the, the, to do that, you'd have to do some very, very extreme things. And uh, it's a cat and mouse game with the credit card issuers that are uh, trying to uh, keep you from doing those things. <laughs> so for someone that has a credit card or two and is approached with an offer and that they come in the mail, they come by email, you see mm-hmm. them on the web, your bank is pushing credit cards. Let's start with how do you know what is the right credit card given your situation? Yeah, it, it's it's not a simple answer. People come up to me at parties and they say, just tell me what the best credit card mm-hmm. is. And I say, well, tell me what the best pair of shoes is, mm-hmm. right? I mean, a runner is going to have different shoes than someone going to a formal event. And, and and there's a million types of shoes of different sizes for different people and purposes. Same thing with credit cards. So to answer that question, I have to know what is your purpose? Is it cash back? Is it paying off debt? Is it free travel? And then within that, I would need to know, you know, where do you spend your money? What are your travel goals? You know, the credit card for visiting your uh, grandparents in Florida over winter break is a different credit card uh, than, you know, taking a trip to Europe in the off season. Um, you know, so so I, I actually do award travel consulting with people where I sit down uh, kind of like a doctor or something like that. And, and I say, OK, tell me what credit cards you have. Tell me what your goals are. OK, here's some specific recommendations. Get this card, cancel that card, et cetera. If they have debt. Mm-hmm. What does the conversation look like? And specifically credit card debt. Are you encouraging them to sign up and avoid higher interest, you know, 0%, things of that nature? How does debt, credit card debt play, play a role sure. in that? Sure. If someone has credit card debt, you know, depending on how responsible or irresponsible they've been with their finances, if, if you know, if they've suffered, uh, you know, medical problems, divorce, things like that, that have given them this credit card debt, but they're otherwise feel that they can responsibly handle a credit card, I would recommend a card with a 0% APR balance transfer offer. What does that mean for those? Okay. So what that means is let's say I have $5,000 in credit card debt. And so every month I might be paying $100, $200 in interest. If I transfer that balance over to a new account, then for example, it might give me 18 months of interest-free financing on that $5,000. So now that $5,000 is on a different account, I've essentially paid off the balance, uh, kind of like refinancing your mortgage. Mm-hmm. You're paying off the balance on your existing debt. You're incurring a new balance on a, with a new account, but this new account has 0% APR for maybe a year and a half. And then I say divide your balance by, in this case, 18 months and pay that every month. Oh, and by the way, pay for all your, your other things uh, with cash or check or something. So you're not, um, you know, digging... <laughs> digging your hole deeper as right. you're trying to get out. Right. Uh, and make that your goal. Make that 18 months your finish line that you're going to be done with debt. And the beauty is, obviously, you're not incurring interest so that every single penny you send to the credit card issuer is paying down that debt. Whereas before, a couple hundred dollars of it was going to uh, financing charges that, in fact, are never tax deductible, unlike, say, a mortgage mm-hmm. on your home or, or student loans. What's stopping someone from... or using these companies as a way to just transfer debt from one card to the next. Yeah, this is something I warn about pretty regularly. I mean, you never want to just say, oh, this is great. I'll get 18 months of interest-free, and then 17 months later, I'll just do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, you're carrying a balance for a long time. So uh, having a high level of debt will reduce your credit score. And there's no guarantee these companies will 
give you another balance transfer in the future. It's just not a sustainable way to do things. Uh, certainly nothing I would recommend. That's why I say make the end of that promotional financing period your, your finish line, your goal, and divide your balance by that the number of months there. Having a credit card, two, three credit cards, what does that mean for a credit score? Why do I care for a credit score? And if I don't have a credit card, does that mean I have a low credit score? Great question. I mean, you know, some people I, I, I disclose, I have many credit card accounts, probably about 20 open accounts right now. And they just look at me like I'm insane. Oh, your credit score must be horrible. Of course, it's it's extremely high. Uh, the reason is- and, Over and if 800? You, uh, it's probably just below 800. Okay. And, and there's a reason for that too. You, you know, having a, a super duper high credit score- you only achieve that if you never apply for credit cards, which I say is like, you know, kind of like driving around a, a spotless Jeep. The whole point of it is to go off-roading in the mud, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to use that credit score the way I do it to to get great offers and to apply for credit cards from time to time. But having 20 credit cards, it's like, look at it this way. Would you rather loan money to someone who wants paid off uh, a loan or would you loan money to someone who regularly pays off many loans? Right. Meaning it, it, it's expanding my positive credit history um, after about five or six credit cards, it doesn't matter uh, how many credit cards you have. And having more credit cards is better for your credit score, assuming you manage your cards responsibly, which means paying your bills on time and not carrying debt. Uh, but I always say no one should ever have any more credit cards than they can manage responsibly. And if that number's zero, that number's zero. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you know, that last comment is sort of the adult in the room saying, what do you mean? Jason has 20 credit cards, so I can have 20 credit cards. But if you're falling behind or you're not able to manage it responsibly, that can get dangerous. Right, right. I mean, obviously, I'm an expert in the field. I'm very skilled in this. Uh, I wasn't always, you know. Uh, but, But for people who are good at managing their finances, most of all, they treat their credit cards like a debit card or cash. They only buy things they can afford. They never put the bill out of their mind and say, I'm just going to charge it and worry about it later. Every time I make a charge on a credit card, to me, it feels just as if I'm pulling cash out of my pocket. And I'm a pretty frugal person. Yesterday, I took the bus to the airport uh, in Nashville, uh, where I was visiting, because it cost me $2 instead of a $30 Uber. Mm-hmm. I walked a half a mile today to get, pick up a rental car because it was cheaper than paying 5 or 10 bucks for an Uber and so forth. Uh, you know, And the rental car was cheaper than me Ubering it out to your studios. So don't get me wrong, I'm a very, very frugal person, mm-hmm. uh, but I can still manage 15 or 20 credit card accounts, maximize them in a way an expert would. Not that I'm recommending all your readers do this or listeners do the same, mm-hmm. uh, but it certainly does not hurt your credit score to have multiple credit cards managed responsibly. When someone's finished, you they, they come for a consulting session or two and they walk away. On average, how many cards do you see people managing responsibly? You know, I think if you manage somewhere in the five to 10 card range, you can really get almost all the benefits I have from all the cards I have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even as few as four or five credit cards, you can probably do 80, 90% of what I do in terms of, you know, you have a specific card for a certain benefit you want. Maybe you have a a small business card, uh, maybe you have a card for certain purchases like groceries and gas and a card for everything else. So does that, is that how it works? If I have, I have an Amazon Visa card, Mm -hmm. which I strictly, or 95% of the purchases on that card are solely for Amazon Mm -hmm. because they give me 5% cash back, whatever it is on, on it. Is that how you view the benefit of the card? What you get in return for the purchase? Well, 
you know, the technical term or, or someone in my field would distinguish between rewards, which is the 5% cash back, and benefits. So benefits would be things like travel perks, like lounge access. It could be uh, travel insurance, uh, shopping, uh, protection policies. Those are kind of cardholder benefits. Mm -hmm. So obviously you benefit from earning cash back, but strictly speaking, we wouldn't refer to that as a benefit. Let's go back to the credit score. How important is having a credit card to those who track and rate people's credit scores? Yeah, it's funny, you know, after the big uh, credit crunch and recession in 2008, there was a lot of college students who'd graduate and they'd tell me proudly, I have never had a credit card. And they'd smile and they'd grin as if this was a big achievement. I says, well, what happens when you go to get a mortgage? Well, they, I don't know. Well, they don't have much of a credit score because they don't have a credit history. So having a credit card is a great way to build a credit history. Um, you know, when I talk to maybe new immigrants to the United States, I tell them, you know, go out and get a credit card or two, charge a very minimal amount to it, put it on auto pay, and that'll quickly build your credit history. I'm not telling them to rack up debt, of course, but if they put their mobile phone bill or their Netflix subscription on there uh, and, and put it on auto pay so they can never be late, it'll do amazing things for their credit. So we call it a credit score. Why is there not a debit score in the sense that someone can, a bank, uh, a rating agency can look at how much cash is coming into my account mm -hmm. that I'm I'm managing it responsibly like an, like an adult should mm -hmm. and I'm not overspending. And mm -hmm. as a result, I'm given some sort of score because I'm responsibly using a cash method, yeah. right? Well, well. That's starting to happen. There, there's alternative forms of credit uh, that the banks are developing because they're realizing, hey, just because this person has doesn't have a lot of credit cards, they don't have a car loan or a mortgage, they might still be a very good risk. And if we look beyond just their credit score to things like their income, uh, their bank account, uh, paying their their bills on time, uh, that could give you a good indication or that could give them a good indication that, hey, um, this person is a is a better risk than their credit score indicates. So for example, there's a service called Experian Boost uh, and you sign up for that and you voluntarily uh, you know, let them track your bills that you're paying on time and things like that. Uh, there are a few credit cards out there that are you know, trying to, to track this alternative form of credit. And that's, they're not doing that because they're nice people. They're doing that because it's like Moneyball. You know, they, they, they see this underutilized asset in a, in a potential good customer that the credit scores aren't realizing. Or aren't showing. I've seen the Experian Boost commercials, and mm -hmm. they say you can instantly raise your credit score just by signing up. What is, is is that boost or the increase in your rating because you're being transparent and having some sort of um, giving them a window into what your finances look like? Yeah, I mean your 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 credit reports show loans and pretty much loans only. Well, your Cell phone bill is not a loan. Your gas mm -hmm. bill is not a loan. Um, you know, all sorts of utilities, uh, even your rent is not a loan. So it's taking into account other things. And it's perfectly voluntary. You can sign up for it or you can cancel it. It costs you nothing either way. Uh, and it's taking into account all these other areas of, of financial responsibility you could be exhibiting that are not captured in your credit report, uh, your credit history, uh, which was designed to... Uh, show your performance in repaying loans. Of your 15 to 20 cards, how many of them are you 
swiping or using on a month-to-month basis? Really just two or three, honestly. Um, for example, I have an Amex Platinum card. I, I rarely actually swipe it. But this afternoon, my flight's delayed. I'll be in the Amex lounge at LaGuardia. Um, so that's a benefit from that card. But the rewards that I get from it are not competitive with other cards I have. So then I have another card, an Amex Gold card, that I'll use for groceries. It gives me four points per dollar. Uh, it gives me four points per dollar at restaurants. That's a great card. And if some expense doesn't qualify for any bonus, maybe I'll use my Chase Freedom Unlimited, which gives me a point and a half per dollar, which is 50% more than than the other cards I mentioned for you know a car repair bill or a health insurance uh, bill uh, that doesn't qualify for any kind of bonus. How do you gauge when a card is worth the sign up process slash annual fee versus the rewards. And sometimes I would imagine someone who's not keeping up with the day-to-day, month-to-month information, the sign-up bonus might be enough for them to get involved, but you turn around the six months, they they wean out some of the, the, the benefits or perks, and a year and a half later, it's not actually worth it. Yeah. Well, okay. So I look at the offer. Is it a competitive sign-up bonus? That's one factor. Does it have the benefits, you know, does it have specific benefits that I really want, like that lounge access that I mentioned is one of the benefits of that platinum card. So some cards are really heavy on benefits. Like if you're loyal to a particular airline or hotel, you can get the card co-branded with that uh, travel provider and you get all sorts of great benefits, maybe room upgrades or priority check-in at the airport, something like that. Uh, obviously, you want to look at the annual fee, you know, is are these rewards and benefits worth the cost, you know, is it duplicating something I already have? Certainly you don't need it if it's largely duplicating what you already have. But if you if you take the cost, the rewards and the benefits are the three big things. And if you if it complements my wallet, um, I would consider signing up for it. Now, of course, you know, I follow the industry all day long. And so I know exactly which offers are fantastic and best of the best. And I'll sign up for those. But But even if you're not obsessively following it like me, uh, you can still, you know, take a look and say, hey, I'm a Hyatt loyalist. I see there's the world of Hyatt card. It's offering me whatever, 50,000 points. Wow, that'll give me six or seven free night stays. And not only that, it'll give me certain other benefits. So yeah, I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to get that card. Now you get that card, you pay the annual fee, although some of them have the first year fee waived. You get the sign up bonus. And then a year goes by. you see that annual fee being billed on your statement and you think, is has this card been worth it? Was this worth the $99 or the $75? If it is, you go on and pay it and go on about your business. If it isn't, you call them up and you tell them, hey, I'd like to cancel. It's really, I don't think it's worth the annual fee. Half the time they'll say, okay, your, your account's been canceled. The other half the time they'll say, well, what if we just waive that annual fee? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you keep the card. Uh, and then if I have a no annual fee card, there's no reason to cancel it at all because it, you know, I'm not paying anything to have it. I have so many follow up questions. Sure. Does it? We'll do a little rapid lightning. Does it hurt your credit score when you're signing up for eight cards a year and then canceling six cards a year? So, if you sign up for many cards, like like two, three, four, five cards in a short period of time, like a month or two you will see a small but significant dip in your credit score. I would not do that before I'm applying for a mortgage or a big loan. Uh, but if you space them out, like I'll apply for maybe three, four cards a year, it's it's a negligible 
effect. And long-term, having more credit cards and managing them responsibly increases my credit score. Uh, the really, you know, it, it, it's like the golden rule. You, you know, you you carry, you know, you never carry a balance. You pay your bills on time. And there's virtually nothing you could do to avoid having an excellent credit score. Mm-hmm. You know, they, people go into all this nuance with all, all these details and how many cards you apply for and how old's your oldest card and all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. If you pay your bills on time and you don't carry debt, you will always have excellent credit. I guess it's very important to divide between what's a luxury versus what's a necessity, mm-hmm. right? I would imagine someone who's getting 5%, 4% cash back on their groceries, mm-hmm. they need to pay for groceries, right? Everyone has to eat. So sure. that's a critical necessity and you're saving money on that necessity. Yeah. Whereas paying annual fees on cards that provide travel, you know, perks, that can be great, but ultimately that's a luxury and you have to be cognizant of of the two because it's not like there's no cost involved, right? Well, well yes and no. I mean, look, uh, I, I keep referring to the Amex card. I'll take my family, I have a wife and three kids, I'll take my family of five to the Amex lounge. We'll all have a nice meal before we get on Southwest, which certainly is not serving us a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a real value. Like if I didn't do that, I would... I guess we, we could carry food into the airport with us or mm-hmm. we could have a very expensive meal there. So, I mean, I, I, I do get value out of these things. I do very, very harshly look at, at hey, is this worth it? Um, you know, I live in Denver in the middle of the country. I have family in Florida and Atlanta and New York, all sorts of places. You could say it's a luxury for me to visit my family, but mm-hmm. to me, it's a necessity. I mean, um, you know, I wouldn't be living... 1,500 miles away from my family if I couldn't visit them affordably mm-hmm. uh, like that. And so it's, uh, and I use points and miles as a business tool. Uh, I fl- you know, I speak at conventions, I attend conventions, I meet with clients around the country in ways that I might not have had, had I had to pay out of pocket cash for a ticket. Tell us about some of the trips you've taken, some of the perks, our friends over at Dan's Deals, he threw out the first pitch in the World Series yeah. using... I don't know, millions of points. What have you done to, I wouldn't say take advantage, but use the offers that are available to you in a mega way that the common man just isn't taking advantage? Yeah, I don't know if I'm in Dan Olive's league. I haven't thrown out the first pitch yet. But, um, you know, this summer, we, uh, all five of us went to Italy. Uh, We spent a month in northern Italy uh, in uh, near Parma, which is what they call the Food Valley, because uh, it's just renowned for incredible food. And uh, the five of us flew in business class um, using points and miles that I've earned. Uh, you know, and it points was a, and miles you earned, sorry, t- from purchases or from well, just having. Well, I, I, I earn points and miles in about three different ways. Okay. Uh, so yeah, there's purchases, be it personal or business. I earn sign up bonuses, uh, and then there's all sorts of um, uh, promotions. And things that are offered from time to time, you know, add a card uh, to your um, to your account, you know, authorize user card or, or enable uh, the pay over time feature or, you know, refer a friend, those type of bonuses. You get these 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 kinds of bonuses and, and it adds up. And we do what some people call two player mode. You know, I'll sign up for the card. My wife will sign up for the card. So we get twice as many bonuses. And that's totally within their terms of service. The, 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 the credit card companies don't know or care if you're married. So if, if you sign up for a card, your wife signs up for a card, the fact that you're married is irrelevant to them. Uh, they, 
So if you knocked on the door and were totally transparent with them, like, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," they'd be they they'd say, "I'll tell you, Go I'll, ahead. I'll tell you one better." Yeah, uh, I'm a, I was at a conference a few years ago, and I'm sitting down with the um, the head of the Southwest Airlines Rapid Rewards Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I they, he was on a panel at an industry conference, uh, and the executive uh, who was at Chase when he negotiated the deal with the with Southwest Airlines. Uh, at the conclusion of my panel, you know, we're all shaking hands. Good job, nice to meet you. I said, I have a question. I said, every year or every other year, I'll sign up for two Southwest Airlines credit cards. And that'll give me the, the companion pass plus about $2,000 worth of credit to be spent on Southwest. And the next year, my wife will do it. And we've been doing it like this for 10 years. So for the last 10 years, both of us have had a companion pass. That means we get two free tickets every time we book something. Am I like your worst enemy? I asked him. Like, he looks at me and goes, no, 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 no. We like you. You're signing up for our credit cards. You're using our credit cards. You're traveling with your family. You're a customer of Southwest Airlines. You're telling other people about it. We, we, we love you. We wish everyone was doing just what you did. So I'm not ripping anyone off. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. No, because that's what the, the critics would say, or at least when they hear um, the Instagram influencers traveling the world and you have websites dedicated to points and reward travel, it sort of gets a bad rap in terms of, hey, do the credit card companies really know what's going on? Well, they, they do. They're, they're smart people. I know a lot of people in the credit card industry. Uh, this has been going on for a long time. And the, the way you have to see this is, first of all, every time you swipe the card, the credit card industry is getting about 2 to 3%. Uh, that's called a merchant fee. Uh, so so let's say I, I charge $1,000 on my credit card. You know, they're getting that that $30, okay? So let's say instead of that $30 uh, or 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 in exchange for that $30, they're giving me, let's say, one airline mile. Well, that one airline mile is realistically worth only a point or two or, or a penny or two uh, towards a free flight. So they're still coming out, uh, out ahead. And that's even before we talk about uh, interest rates and annual fees and other fees that credit card uh, the credit card users pay. And so don't cry for the credit card industry. They are one of the most consistently profitable industries around. They rarely, rarely ever... Or, or you can perform a thought experiment. Name me a credit card issuer that has gone out of business mm. or has declared bankruptcy. It just doesn't happen. Uh, but at the same time, they're extremely competitive. I mean, there's hundreds of card issuers out there. The advertisements and mailers fill up your mailbox. So it's competitive and it's profitable. It's the best of both worlds, I think. And you're saying that they're even a proponent for someone to take full advantage of the perks, benefits, offers that they're absolutely out. They, they they want you to do this. They're mm-hmm. advertising. These are what these credit cards can do. Now, people who are I would call them award travel enthusiasts. I don't like the term travel hackers because because mm-hmm. hacking is, in, in regards to computers is illegal and bad, and nothing we ever do anywhere comes close to illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from family of lawyer. I, I will not break the law to, to earn miles. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I am doing is maximizing uh, the return on my points and miles. So instead of redeeming, you know, um, you know, a hundred thousand miles for a thousand dollar gift card, I will redeem it for a business class ticket overseas. And sure, that business class ticket overseas is definitely worth more than a thousand dollars. But realistically, the airline's essentially giving you unsold inventory that would have been spoiled mm. had that plane taken off with an empty seat. Noted. Okay, so you, you said there are three ways to, to, to rack up those points and miles. It's yep. the um, the purchases, um, the sign-up bo- uh, bonuses, and mm-hmm. the promotions. Yeah. How does someone who's not Jason Steele 
keep track of the promotions that are available to them as the credit card owner. You know, you have to do something that goes against my instinct as a consumer. You have to opt in to promotional offers. Like usually I hate uh-huh. spam and junk mail and all that, but when it's coming from Amex, when it's coming from Chase, uh, those are the, the two companies that I have the most cards with. Yes, I wanna see their promotional offers. The other day, uh, my wife got this offer in her email, 20,000 points, which realistically is worth three, $400 to me, potentially much more. Um, for just opting into what they call pay over time, which is the ability to to you know carry a balance, which we'll never do, but we just opt into it, and boom, twenty thousand points. Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of people you have to do be the- so careful with that, right? Because if if you it does lead you to carry a balance or to, to not pay it off because of the amount of cards you have or for some right, right. O- offer. But but we have our we have our credit card set to auto pay. Right. They're being paid in full. You know, if I get hit by a bus this afternoon, God forbid, <laughs> you know, my credit card bills are still going to be paid till right. my bank account's dry. Um, so I, I'm in no danger of, of extending payment and incurring interest. Uh, but I'm more than happy to accept Amex's offer, and then I'll even disable pay over time once I get the points. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll get that offer again in a few months. Gotcha. <laughs> and same thing with like, you know, referring. And that you fr- think they're they're cool with that. I'm just coming back. To- well, they're giving me the offer, right? right. I'm, I'm not calling them up to beg uh-huh. them. It's coming in my inbox, you know? So I, I don't know if they're cool with it or not, but, you know, that, that's up to them. I'm playing by their rules. Right, right. Uh, right. And, and, I've, and I've, I've been to these industry conferences where the credit card industry is kind of, Sometimes deriding, they, they, they have this term called gamers. They, they, they deride people who are what they call gaming the system. Mm-hmm. And I remind them, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not making the rules. You're making the rules. You, you know, if, if your football team wins by kicking lots and lots of field goals, they're not cheating. They're just exploiting the rule to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if, if you allow me to keep getting these bonuses, if you're presenting me with these offers that I'm, I'm merely accepting, um, how am I breaking any rules? How am I, you know, that's that's up to you to decide if I'm worth making that offer to. I can't be responsible for that. A quick break from this week's episode with our resident financial expert, Shmuel Shywitz from Approved Funding. We got the cups and studios, the mugs. We're excited about this. Credit cards, credit scores. What does that all mean in the home buying experience? Yeah, it's a great question. First, L'chaim, living L'chaim. There you go. Um... You guys really have great topics. So um, this is something that's actually very relevant to uh, today, and I think it's going to have a tremendous impact on a lot of people looking to get credit in the future. For the first time in, I think, about 20 years, they're changing the scoring model for people who are applying for a house. Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, those are the entities that are basically doing most of the residential mortgages. They came out with this new credit scoring protocols, I would say, where it's going to be different than the typical credit scoring model that everybody's used to. And it could actually have a positive positive impact for some people and a negative for others. So where you might pick up some opportunity are people who are, I would say, new, younger, people who don't have established credit. So now there will be more of a holistic way of getting credit with good banking relationships, not having any um, negative um, banking issues, um, paying rent, certain utilities. So there are things that people will be able to use that traditionally would cause them not to have credit. And a lot of banks will not look at somebody who doesn't have a credit score. So that's also something that people need to be very mindful of. 
there are certain limitations and restrictions that you should be weary of before you even start your conversation with somebody. But there are banks and programs out there, which we do, where if you don't have credit, you can find alternatives. This hopefully will help those people who don't have that credit. And at the same time, it'll have trending history. So people who may have had credit issues in the past, as long as it appears that the credit has been improving of late, then that's also something that's going to be to their benefit and to their favor. So hopefully that will have an impact. And supposedly a lot of people who are pretty much boxed out of getting credit today from the banks, this should help a lot. And I think in the residential real estate market, um, we expect that people who were sitting on the sidelines because they didn't have the credit scores that they needed will probably be able to um, get back into the market find opportunities, and actually save a few dollars by having this better score. Were people really boxed out to the point that they couldn't make a purchase, a home purchase, or, or take out a loan as a result of not having enough years? Are, are there ways to be, before this change, are there ways to be creative about taking some form of a loan with a lower credit score or a non-established history? So that's a great question. So what's been happening is the FHFA, which basically controls and regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie mm -hmm. Mac, they have these price adjustments. So somebody with a credit score of 640 versus a credit score of 740 may have a difference of a half a percent in interest mm -hmm. rate. Mm -hmm. So, and that 640 could just be some derogatory with misinformation. There's so much, I forget the, st I forget the percentage of, of inaccurate um, data out there. Mm -hmm. So just from ina inaccuracy, people have been getting kicked into a different bucket and these things can go in like 20 point increments. So 720 would be different than a 700, which would be different than 680 and 640. So people need to be very mindful. And part of what we do and part of what somebody should do is look at not only the credit score and tell them what they're qualified for and what the rate would be, it would be to look at the actual credit the depth and what's causing it to be that score and to see if there's an opportunity. So we often do that. We'll look at it and we'll say, well, you're at a 680, but it appears that you're, you can definitely benefit by doing X, Y, and Z, rebalancing some credit cards. So taking one credit card that may be overextended or maxed out or almost maxed out and then moving it to a different, transferring balances. And all of a sudden through doing nothing or calling the credit card company and asking them to increase your credit limit, now all of a sudden you have better utilization. So there are ways to get some quick points added to your credit, which I think today and certainly even with the changes in the credit scoring would be able to help somebody and it will actually make a difference. And today with rates going up, um, every dollar counts. Last question on this. What is a great credit score? If someone walks in and says, yeah, it's 710. Is that is that great? What number should someone be striving for if they have the ability to make some moves ahead of time that when they call your office, they call approved funding, they say my credit score is ABC. What number do you want to hear? So um, everybody's very proud and very quick to tell me oh, I have an 800 credit score. Right. Most of them don't. Oh. So what they're seeing is they're seeing like a credit score that's more consumer oriented. So they're seeing what their credit card company or uh, their bank is telling them. But that's not necessarily a bank FICO score. 
Um, maybe this will change. It'll become a little bit more universal um, for whoever's looking at it. But in the banking world, if you have over a 760 score, I would say that that's something to be very proud of and you'll probably get top tier. Um, but again, even somebody who's less than that should not uh, really be overly concerned. I would say get in front of a credit expert, a mortgage expert, or somebody who can help them because you could turn a 640 into a higher score with a lot less of an effort than many people think. Awesome. So if you're in the need for a credit score boost or insights on what your bank FICO score is, I don't even know what mine is. Mm -hmm. We should look that up. But get in touch with Approved Funding. The link is in the show notes, approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. If someone doesn't have um, those email notifications, alerts for the marketing uh, bonuses and special offers, can someone call up their credit card and say, what offers do you currently have running? Would they be transparent like that? Or Yeah, well, I mean, one offer that that's like that is, and I, and I touched on this, your annual fee is due. Um, when they either waive the annual fee or maybe they give you enough points uh, that, that are equal in value to the annual fee, that's called a retention offer. And absolutely, you can call your credit card company up every year when you see the annual fee and say, do you have any retention offers available? I Regardless could, of whether or not you could or could not pay it. That, that doesn't that, play. That's not about paying. It, oh. It's about, do I want to keep this account or cancel it? And they desperately want you to keep the account. Uh -huh. So if I say, I'd rather not pay that $100 annual fee, do you have a retention offer available? And they go, click, click, click. Well, we can waive that fee for you this year. Or click, click, click. How about we'll just give you $100 worth of points? So th that's a, that's an example of you soliciting the offer from the credit uh -huh. card company. But the vast majority of the time, uh, it comes from the c credit card company. From time to time, I'll get an offer like I had one a, a few weeks ago. Uh, spend $1,500 at gas station, up to $1,500 at gas stations on my Hyatt card, and they'll give me 10 points per dollar. Now, I happen to drive an electric car, so that doesn't, w on the surface, wouldn't seem to help me very much. But guess what else they sold at the gas station? Amazon gift card, for example, Visa gift card, mm. things like that. So I walk, I drive into the gas station with my electric car, pick up $1,500 worth of gift cards that I was going to use anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and now I have uh, 15,000 miles instead of 1,500 miles. Uh, and those Hyatt points uh, are probably worth to me about at least two cents each. Are you highlighting these industry secrets on your blog? Is there a way... How do because I'm not able to keep track the way you are, and I imagine most of our audience can't either. But they wanna, they don't want to miss out on these. Well, I have a very um, interesting role in this whole blogosphere. So I don't really even have a blog. Uh -huh. And so I started by telling you I, I tried blogging 15 years ago and I was a failure. Um, what I learned with blogging took so many kind of like podcasting, you know, so many different skills to do it. And I'm just really good at writing and discovering these deals. So I'm a hired gun. So I write for uh, The Points Guy, I write for SoFi, I've written for NerdWallet and US News and over 100 outlets over the course of my career. But ironically, I really haven't done my own blog. Mm. Uh, I'm kind of like uh, more of, a, of an actor than a producer, mm -hmm. if you use the movie analogy. Um, I think that's going to change. I, I am looking at writing a book in the next year about how to do this. I haven't seen anyone's written a book on really how to... Uh, exploit credit cards for award travel. And I think that's a, that's a good thing to do. Maybe a book and a course uh, combined, I think would help people. But it's really the reason is to answer your question. I mean, how do people get involved? You, you choose your favorite bloggers. Like, like I'll read, obviously, The Points Guy 
Uh, I was their first contributor over 10 years ago. I still read it. Uh, there's uh, a lot of great bloggers on a site called The Boarding Area. Uh, Gary Left blogs as View from the Wing and Ben Schlappig blogs as One Mile at a Time and Sean Coomer blogs uh, Miles and Memories. These are all great bloggers. We mentioned Dan Olive and Dan mm-hmm. Steeles. You know, uh, that's an interesting site because it's a little bit about travel and a little bit about just general deals mm-hmm. and and obviously it caters to the orthodox community it's 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 uh he's got his own niche uh for sure uh, but i'll read those sites and, and i'll find some deals there and if you don't have time to do all that like i said i do award travel consults for people just like they're just kind of throwing their hands up so just, just tell me what to do i don't want to read all this stuff right uh so you go to my website jasonsteel.com and and you'll see award travel consulting and and it's really amazing. I, I I enjoy helping people, and I ask them to follow up with me because I want to hear about this great vacation they took uh, because they got all these points and miles or, or whatever goal they achieved. So right now we're in the approaching the winter of 2022-2023. What are the go-to cards or at least what stands out to you as offers that are hard to turn down? Yeah, I mean, for someone getting started in this, they uh, – there's a Sapphire Reserve, which is a premium card. Uh, it's got an 80,000 point offer. And those points are worth a bare minimum of a penny and a half each. So that 80,000, uh, that would be a $1,200 sign-up bonus. I, I believe it's after spending 4,000 within three months. Uh, that Sapphire Reserve card gives you three points per dollar on all travel and dining, which is fantastic. It also gives you this priority pass card, which will get you into th- hundreds, I think over a thousand lounges around the world. So when you're in some crazy country or whatever, and you're in the lounge where everyone else is sweating it out in the, in the hall. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's just a great card to have. It's a, like a solid metal card and, and that's a higher than average offer for someone who's kind of maybe more beginning in this, the, the little brother of the Sapphire reserve is Sapphire preferred. It doesn't have that lounge access and it gives you two points per dollar. Um, but in both these cases, those points can be transferred to United Airlines, transferred to Hyatt points, transferred to Southwest, and like a dozen other partners. And so you, the, the trick is to accumulate these points and then you transfer them to the partner that's going to allow you to do what you want to do. If it's a hotel stay, a flight on United, a flight on Southwest. And, and when I say United, I'm also referring to all of United's partners. Um, so that's, uh, that's a lot of different airlines. And for someone who is not traveling, but they do spend a lot, you mm-hmm. know, for their business or personally, are there other cards that stand out to you that? Yeah, the the, the standard right now is about 2% cash back. So the city double cash will give you that 2% cash back. And interestingly, um, they're giving it to you in the form of these thank you rewards points. So if you, if you later decided you wanted to use some of that for travel, you get a little bit higher end card called the City Premier, uh, and that gives you uh, the ability to transfer those points to airline miles or hotel points. But a City Double Cash is a really great card uh, to to start off with. Um, yeah, I mean it's pretty easy to get started in this. There's a lot of great offers. If every card is has its annual recharge at a different time, how do you keep track? Or is it all at the end of the fiscal year? No, no, first of all, not every card has an annual fee. So that city double cash has no annual fee, for Uh example. Um, You don't have to keep track of it. I mean, they'll just 
add it to your bill. So it's not like you're going to fail to pay it as long but as But I want to be proactive in the right. sense that if I want to ask for some retention offer, I don't mm-hmm. want to have to call up in March, April, yeah. May, June for the, the, well, the this, six cards. There's been this whole cottage industry of apps that people have developed in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a friend of mine in Denver has an app called Travel Freely uh, that, that does this. Um, there, there's uh, Thrive. there's Card Curator, uh, the Points Guy has uh, uh, their own app and so forth. Um, you know, I like the Travel Freely app. I know the developer, so that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, you, you, you put the cards in that tells you when the, um, um, you know, when the annual fee comes due. It can help you track to make sure you meet the, uh, the minimum spend on a, uh, on a sign-up bonus. Um, you know, you could just kind of see at a, at a glance which cards you have, which ones will give you the most value per, for a particular purchase. Um, although I was on the phone with my mom this morning and I said, you know what, mom, I'm just going to put a sticker on your cards is use this one for groceries, oh, that's use good. this one for gas. You can go low tech. That works right. too. Let's talk about businesses because you mm-hmm. do have some businesses spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a, a month on credit cards. And I would imagine many times they don't have the the best offers. Do you consult with businesses to guide them on things like that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I, when I have a consulting client, I say, give me a list of all the credit cards you have in your household, personal and small business. And so, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I, example, you don't have to be like a big shot. I mean, I, I met a guy who was a roofer. Um, you know, he's probably not making a lot of money, but I said, well, how are you spending on your business? He goes, well, I buy $30,000 worth of roofing supplies at Home Depot every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I don't know what his profit margin is, but either way, that's $30,000 of spending each month with a 2% cashback card. That'd be 600 a month, 7,200 a year. And remember, this is a discount on a purchase. This is not income. So that's $7,200 of tax-free. I don't know how much the roofer made for a living, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if it was, you know, that would be an additional essentially 10% of his income. Wow. Um, so, you know, I've met um, people who used uh, the NFL credit card. Uh, there was a guy, actually, I think he's in the New York area, and he was a, a custom home builder. And he'd put a couple million dollars on the card. And every year he went to the Super Bowl for free. Wow. You know, it was like a tradition. He showed right. me pictures of his, uh, uh, every year he'd maybe take a different family member and talk about a family tradition is going to the Super Bowl. Wow. I don't know if he would have spent, you know, the ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 or what it costs to get tickets for that normally, but he, he went for free every year just as a perk of his credit card. That's so cool. What are some of the downsides of award travel? I know we, we talk about how glamorous it could be and, you know, the Super Bowl traditions and the, and the lounges and the restaurants. Um, what should people be on the lookout for? What should they know uh, being fully transparent? Well, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, you got to pay your bill on time and uh, in full to avoid interest charges. If you're not consistently doing that, award travel and rewards are just not for you until you get there, uh, get there consistently. Um other downsides, I mean, you know, like 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 we'll travel and we'll have to take an additional stop maybe because we're traveling for free. Like, okay, we're flying a business class for free, but we're not on the nonstop flight uh, to, uh, uh, to Paris. We have to change planes in Newark, but we're still in business class. We're still traveling for free. So we're okay with that. Uh, I'm taking my family to South Africa this winter. Um, you know, three of us are going to take one flight home and two of us are going to take another flight home because it's almost impossible to find five uh, award seats in business class on one plane. Mm-hmm. Boo-hoo. I'll get to bond with one of my children uh, one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's not really any any real downsides for people who are managing their 
bills responsibly. You know, it's like any hobby. You'll you'll spend some time doing it, but I call it the low hanging fruit of frugality, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could spend, you know, I don't know if people you know spend Sunday morning clipping coupons out of their paper to right. save twenty cents on peanut butter. I'm taking twenty thousand dollar trips with my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spend a few hours a week kind of reading up on this and you know taking advantage of various deals, but it, it's time well spent. Do you have any cautionary tales? of people that have gotten into this as a hobby and went off the deep end, <laughs> right? They started spending more than they can afford because by no means do I want people to listen to this and say, hey, Jason Steele, you know, highlighted the the, the perks, the benefits. It's, it's amazing. And I get an email six months later that their life's in shambles because they went off the deep end. I want to try to hit that home in the sense yeah. that you could run into problems if you don't do this correctly. Look, look you can. Um, I don't know anyone personally who has because I'm always very, very cl- clear. Pay your bill on time. Never carry a balance. Uh, that, that's just rule one that I always start off everything with. Um, but in, in the same note, like I said before, never, ever have one more card than you can manage responsibly. And if and if you're just, I mean, and I've talked to people and they say, yeah, me and credit cards, it, it, it does, it's not a good fit. I... I always overspend. Um, I'm not an advocate for credit cards. I'll, I'll say, well, that's really great that you know yourself that mm-hmm. way and, and you're using other forms of payment. Uh, I, will, I would not recommend you get into credit cards if, if, if they're telling me that they're just going to max their card out or they're going to fail to pay their, uh, their bill in full and get into debt. Personally, I get scared or I'm intimidated when they say X thousands of points. I don't know what that means as a currency because, for example, Marriott Bonvoy, I have a card. And we were speaking about this mm-hmm. where it'll give you a free night stay mm-hmm. every year just for having the card. Mm-hmm. But then when you go onto the hotel website, a minimum stay is 40,000 points and the free night they've given me is worth 35,000 points. So I think currency and exchange does come into play. What, what are these points worth and what's, what's the easiest way for someone like me to keep track of that? It's a great question. There, there's several sites that um, do currency valuations and they're a lot like... Uh, um, currency valuations for real currency. You know how much is a is is a euro or a pound worth or a shekel. Um, you know, and that fluctuates. Uh, I do the valuations for the Slick Deal site, and so if you go there, you'll see how I estimate the value of each point, and I update that uh, every month. So I'll be doing my updates here this week, uh, kind of for November. And so, you know, they're not absolute the way you know regular you know uh, national currencies are. But I know that a, a Marriott Bonvoy point is worth about a half or a third of a Hyatt point, uh, and a Hilton point's worth even less. Um, so, you know, in some cases, like a Southwest point is worth about a penny and a half, no matter how you spend it. Uh, so that's that's pretty consistent. JetBlue is also fairly consistent, at about one point three cents each. But you know, I sometimes get outsized value. I'll go to a, a really big event where all the hotels are sold out, and if I booked it in advance and got that. Um, uh, a free night there, I could get four or five cents in value. You know, a hotel that's selling for, you know, $500 a night and I just paid, you know, 15,000 points, you could do the math and you could, you'll realize it's about three and a half cents in value. So that's fantastic. So people save their points for those really high value redemptions and maybe pay cash for the low value redemptions. We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first, a very important message from Kol Chabad. As interest rates soar, inflation climbs, now more than ever, Kol Chabad, Israel's oldest charity, needs our help. 
They need your help. They need my help. They need all of our help. Every dollar counts. It goes to the thousands of families in Israel that just cannot afford meals, clothing, shelter. They help in so many different ways. Really go check it out. Even if you've donated two weeks ago, their website continuously changes. They have stories. Kolchabad.org slash kosher money. You can do a recurring donation. So let's say you're only able to give $5 a month. That adds up. And the more and more people that do that, it adds up even more. We can't thank you enough. So many people have donated, and we appreciate that. So visit the website. Donate from your heart. If you're in Israel ever, look them up. I think they have a location near the Kosel where you can see the things that they do. You can visit their soup kitchens, kolchabad.org slash kosher money. And now back to this week's exciting episode. In recent years, people have sold their points to another individual, does that go against the credit card's terms of service generally? What There's a whole industry um, well, related I, to Well, I that. have met these people, and uh, I strongly uh, urge people not to sell their points. It does go against uh, the terms and conditions, which frankly, I'm not... Those aren't laws. They're just some company says so. So I'm, I don't think it's morally wrong to break the terms and conditions of a company. But what will happen is when you get caught, they will you know, kind of blacklist you and they'll wipe out all your points and miles balances. And worse, perhaps the person who's buying them, uh, they take this trip overseas and, and this has happened mm. uh, and they go to check in for the return and they say, it looks like you purchased these points, didn't you? Uh, we have invalidated your return ticket. And now you're on the other side of the world. Mm. So I I think it's a very, I would never, ever buy or sell points. I would never recommend someone do it. What I do do, though, is I kind of uh, share points within the family. Um, you know, if my, uh, actually, my mom was flying through uh, New York uh, Saturday, and, and I got her a stay at, uh, at a hotel overnight here uh, with my points, that's perfectly fine. And if my mom decides to, to, you know, pay me back by, you know, paying for a flight or something out of her points. Um, you know, as long as it's not like a, a sale agreement or a barter agreement, we do favors for each other in the family. And I think that's great. Some people say getting children or young adults a credit card early helps with getting their credit score going, especially when they want to take out a car loan or mm-hmm. a mortgage at a young age. Is that true? And how early should someone get a credit card? Yeah, I mean, I have a 15-year-old daughter. She has several cards in her name, one of which she carries, and I monitor its use. The others I kind of hang on to. Uh, I got those uh, bonuses for adding an additional card holder, so that was nice. But but what happens is when you're an additional authorized card holder, uh, you're essentially kind of, kind of loaning your credit uh, history to that person. And so my daughter, even though she's not 18, when she turns 18, she will automatically have a high credit score. It will be as if she had been building credit herself all these years. Uh, I also want to teach her how to use credit cards responsibly. So that's part of my motivation. It's not merely so that she would have a high credit score. I don't imagine she's going to get a car loan or a mortgage when she turns 18. But I do want to set her off on the right foot. A lot of people you met at FinCon, a lot mm-hmm. of people who write about credit cards, they have you know really um, gripping stories about how they incurred all this debt and one day paid it off. And that's wonderful. Uh, my handicap in this industry is I never had that. My parents taught me to use credit cards responsibly from a young age. And the conversation in college was like, 
you are paying your credit card bill in full every month, aren't you? You're not carrying a balance. And I'd say, yes, mom, just as I told you yesterday, you know, you don't have to tell me this every, you know, and I get frustrated, but of course I'm, I'm glad that she instilled these uh, kind of good economic, good personal finance habits in me. That's awesome. Yeah. We spoke about transferring credit card debt from one card to another. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about debt negotiation on a credit card. Are mm -hmm. credit cards ever open to having a conversation? What does that look like when someone says, listen, my life's in shambles right now. I went in too deep. Um, do they listen? And can you actually get debt forgiveness? Well, yes and no. They will listen. Uh, and if you are having trouble with debt, you do want to talk to your credit card issuer. And, and people who have had credit card debt will tell you that's the one thing they don't want to do. They just want to put it in the back of their head. They want to ignore it. They don't want to open up their credit card bills. They just want to pretend it's going to go away. It's it's a natural response to procrastinate or to uh, to put it out of your mind when there's some task you just don't want to do. I mean, we all have tasks around the house that we're just dreading doing that we just kind of put out of our mind. Well, unfortunately, that's the worst thing you could do with a credit card. So let's say you did lose your job. You, you suffered uh, an injury, a divorce, a natural disaster. Call your credit card company up and tell them that. Um, you know, on the other hand, they're not just going to say, we understand you don't have to ever pay your bill again. That's not going to happen. But what they can do is, um, you know, maybe they could lower your interest rate or, or, or let you skip a payment or uh, they can work with you in some way. Um, but but you're not just going to kind of haggle your way out of it. Uh, that's that's what they would call debt settlement. When I say, okay, I owe $10,000. How about if I pay eight, you make it go away? Mm -hmm. Um, they're not really going to work with consumers often that way. So your next step is, you know, you, you, you've talked to them, you've, you've gotten what you can out of them in terms of, hey, we understand. And, and, and certainly when there's been, you know, like, like people in uh, Southwest Florida right now, they've gone through a horrible disaster. If one of your listeners is one of those people, certainly call your credit card issuer up and say, hey, I've been subject to a, nat uh, a natural disaster. It's been a official federal disaster. They will you know, maybe do things for you that someone who just overspent wouldn't get. Uh, but once you've exhausted that, your next step is to talk to a, I would recommend a nonprofit credit counselor. Mm. Uh, and uh, they will, uh, they can work with you. They can work with the credit card companies, but it's not just a matter of, you know, waving a magic wand, lowering your bills. It's more of a matter of, hey, let's restructure your budget. Let's restructure your payments so that you can make payments on your budget and get out of debt long-term. Is there a time of the year where credit card companies play ball more than others? They offer better cards, better perks. I, I haven't discovered much seasonality with that. Mm -hmm. Probably just after the holidays, you might see more uh, balanced transfer offers. The assumption is that people are getting in debt over the holidays, which mm -hmm. sadly is probably a good assumption, mm -hmm. um, but or a valid assumption, not a good one. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I haven't seen much seasonality. Uh, you know, one company will, will will release a new card and they'll have a really great sign-up bonus and the other companies might go to match. Um, some credit cards I've been following for years and it seems like every two or three months they bump the bonus up by 20,000 points for a month and it's limited time and then it goes down. It's like a sale at Macy's, right? Every week they're having a sale. <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I, I don't think there's a particular moment where you have to, you know, there's no Black Friday for credit cards. Right. You'll walk into some establishments and they say they don't accept Amex. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? Why is that happening? Is that legal? Is that not legal? Like, No, it's a great question. First of all, any establishment is, 
you know, these days I, I see some establishments that say cash only, mm-hmm. usually like uh, home repair, kind of big ticket stuff. Right. And then very commonly, more and more, I'm seeing a lot of places saying credit cards only, no cash. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the costs of handling cash are high. But in terms of Amex, Amex has a slightly higher or significantly higher merchant fee than Visa, MasterCard, and Discover. So you're a small business person. You accept the Visa, MasterCard, Discover. Maybe it's costing you 2% uh, of the transaction. Uh, but you take Amex, it might be 2.7%. And you might just decide, well, how many of my customers really only have Amex and don't have Visa MasterCard? Probably almost nobody. I'm just going to say, Visa. I, uh, my synagogue, I, I paid my dues with a credit card and, and I was going to pay on my Amex and I realized we didn't take Amex. <laughs> so it's okay. I used a different card, you, right. you know, but, but we, um, I happen to be the treasurer. You know, at one point, I guess we made the decision uh-huh. uh, to, um, uh, you know, take credit cards, but not take the most expensive one, essentially. There's this growing trend where merchants are passing the transaction fees over to the consumer. Mm-hmm. It's never great when I'm the actual consumer and I see that the 2 3% has been added. Mm-hmm. Many times I don't even realize there's a sign and I'm paying for it without realizing. Have you seen that? It's definitely a growing trend. It's it's one that I'm not happy about. I will actively avoid merchants that play that game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause like I said, cash has its own costs. Um, you know, you know, carrying cash, uh, theft, uh, uh, counting it, taking it to the bank, all these things, they add up to about the same cost of accepting a credit card, which is why many establishments will only accept credit cards. Mm-hmm. So for them to pass that on, uh, is very disingenuous. And I'll say back to you, it's your choice. Right. right? It, it's your choice. And my choice will often be to go to a different merchant who's doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a restaurant in my neighborhood that would tack on a 3% fee uh, as a pizza shop. And they were doing that when it was not even legal in the state of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we stopped visiting that merchant and I drove by the other day and they were out of business. So, I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they you know, it, it, it it, to me, it's a sign that the, that the merchant doesn't like its customers, that they want to tack on additional fee uh, for really no reason, because like I said, they're going to incur costs if they accept cash. They're going to incur costs if they accept credit cards. And the worst ones, the worst of the worst, they go beyond 3%. Uh, because 3% is actually I, a little bit more. I've seen 4%. I've seen 5 uh, wow. uh, Some company, we got a quote from health insurance. I said, can we pay this with our credit card? They said, oh, we'll tack on 8%. I'm like, so they're making it into a profit center. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, I don't want to do business with companies like uh-huh. that. What happened that made it... Illegal to legal. We're, we're, we're. Well, sadly, the law changed. Um, there was about 10 states, including New York, uh, a few years ago that where it was illegal to add a credit card surcharge. Now, it's always been legal to have a, to have a cash discount. Uh, but the merchants, uh, a lot of times it's convenience stores, places like that, have successfully lobbied various states, including Colorado. I don't, I don't know the current status in New York uh, to make that um legal to impose a credit card surcharge. I think the Colorado law does have some limits, but a lot of states don't. So it was merchant driven. They they were the proponents and making Yeah, the, the merchants love to complain that it's like a tax and it's like consumers are paying it, but but certainly the merchants paying for it. You know, this the consumers aren't begging for credit card surcharges, the merchants are. Um so um it's it's kind of disingenuous on on their part, and I I just don't like the the principle of surcharges where you advertise one price mm-hmm. and you charge a different one, uh, like like a, a resort fee at a hotel is becoming common. God knows you look at your 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 um, cell phone bill. There's dozens of fees, cable bills, dozens of fees. 
I mean, you take your car to the mechanic. They say, oh, this is the shop fee. Mm-hmm. What is this stuff? You know, you, I don't know if your listeners can hear the, 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 my outraged expression on my face, but, yeah. but I, I'm, I'm in principle. It, it seems like it's dishonest to, to advertise one price and charge another and claim it's some fee. There are these, I don't know if you call them perks or benefits, but some credit cards will give you um, insurance protection on your vehicles. Some mm-hmm. will give you clear travel that gets you through the airport yep. more quickly. What's the best way for me to know which is the best option? Is it come down to having a consultation with someone like you to figure that out? Is it easily Googleable because it's always changing? Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to, you know, the consultation is something I do. You probably don't need to go to that extent. But for example, I would never rent a car without using a credit card that has insurance because otherwise I'm either relying on my personal insurance or I'm not insured, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, several credit cards still offer rental car insurance. A lot of them that used to no longer do. So that's something you could you could look up either on your existing cards mm-hmm. or a potential new card. Um, you know, I, I travel a lot. I have uh, like trip cancellation insurance or, or trip delay insurance. So let's say I get to LaGuardia tonight and, and my flight is canceled. Uh, it might be $300 for me to spend the night at the last minute across the street. Um, well, I will have that insured, meaning uh, Chase in this case uh, will cover... Uh, the cost of, of my overnight. And so I don't have to worry about that in my meals too. Um, there's shopping protection, like extended warranty. I had a little electronic gizmo that I bought over a year ago for my bicycle. Mm-hmm. It cost a couple hundred dollars. One day it stopped working. I called the company and said, it's out of warranty. Uh, they uh, they sold me a new one at a discount and I claimed the price of the old one to American Express. They mm-hmm. immediately uh, refunded it wow. because it had a year extended warranty. So you have to look at the what benefits are out there, which ones you think you'd utilize, and hopefully find a credit card that has those benefits. Right. What does a consultation look like with Jason Steele? I imagine most of these are over Zoom or remote. Yep. Are you sending them a, a, an Excel sheet to fill out all their credit cards prior, and then you sit with them? Is it in real time? Having an exchange? Yeah, I, I don't like to give people a lot of homework. So I say, give me a list of the credit cards in your household, which mm-hmm. can include personal business for you or your spouse or whatever adults in your household that are you're kind of managing. Um, give me a list of your balances of points and miles with credit cards, hotels, airlines, just significant ones. If you have you know, 500 United miles, I don't really care. Um, and then tell me what your travel goals are or, or your credit card goals if it's paying off debt. Uh, what those goals are. And then at the end of this conversation, which typically takes about an hour and a half, uh, two hours, um, you know, you don't even have to take notes because what I'll do is I'll be taking notes and I'll follow up a few hours later with a list of step-by-step instructions of, you know, get this card, cancel this card, use this card for gas, use this card for groceries, et cetera. Uh, and we'll put you on this path. And it often concludes with, you know, and then in a few months, this will be step two and I'm happy to follow up with you. Um, you know, I'm, this is a relatively small part of what I do for a living. Right. I mostly do it because I enjoy helping people and because it really allows me to connect uh, with with regular people, frankly, who are not credit card experts. It's really easy as a credit card expert to, to lose sight of what actual people like yourself, you know, you have no desire to travel, nothing wrong with that. You're not a person I meet every day. Right. And so it's good to talk to people. Nice. I'm <laughs> well, unique. No, I, I mean... Let me ask you, do you not travel because it's just too expensive or you just have no interest in leaving? I, I think it's the latter. But when I do travel, I'm like, hey, this is, this is kind of fun. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean, so I ask people this question. Imagine how much would you travel if travel was free? 
That's a great right? question. I mean, because it's like, you know, when, when you're driving around New York or you're taking the subway, you're probably not calculating, well, I don't really want to, you know, go across town because that'll be an extra $2 on my Metro card. No, you're just going, you know, if you want to go across town, you go across town. That's how I am about the country. Like, like you know, um, my, uh, my wife is going to go visit uh, my grandmother. My wife and one of my daughters are going to visit my grandmother next week. She's 101. Just go. Just see her why, why, why we have this opportunity to, to be with her. The cost is just points. It's, it's irrelevant. Um, I frequently take trips uh, just because uh, I can, just because I feel like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to visit a family member. I'm not big on social media. If I want to like catch up with someone, I will actually just fly there and hang out mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone needs my help, I'll jump on a plane and go help them. So you're never going to kayak.com or Google Flights to look up. It's straight to wherever the points I, are. I, I, I don't pay with dollars. You don't pay with dollars. I, I, I pay with points. Right. And I've gone, and it took, me, it took me a while to get to that point where my points and miles exceeded the... Um, my desire to travel mm-hmm. uh but you know i mean I, I think i was telling you when we met my wife's israeli and every couple of years we take a what i call a falafel run mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we and we the whole family goes to israel i think we're gonna go next june um and you know half my wife's family lives there and and so and so we go um sometimes what we even do is we send some of her family to denver to visit us wow. uh because you know we don't have to take the kids out of school and travel halfway around the world if her friend or her cousin or whatever wants to come to denver we send them a ticket. That's awesome. And they come visit us. And it's it's a great way to stay connected. For those listening, what does, and obviously prices change and whatnot, are we talking here thousands of dollars for a consultation, hundreds of dollars? No, right now I charge $300 for this, you know, kind of hour and a half, two hour consultation with a follow-up uh, email that just, I mean, it'll give you links to the specific cards or if I, you know, I'll touch on something in our conversation, I'll say, you know what? Let me send you a link to an article maybe I wrote or someone else wrote, mm-hmm. uh, because you know I'm I'm reading this stuff all day long. Right. I'm doing this for a living, but I can give you the benefits of my knowledge and just hey, read these three articles and aha, that'll click. Now you know how to get this Southwest Airlines companion pass or this business class ticket to Israel. Uh, whatever your goal is, um, I I can get you there. Are you getting commission on these links when you're sending them out? And if yes. Um, are you transparent about that? And if not, oh, I, I, why the I, heck absolutely. not? Um, you know, if my link is the best available link, I'll give it to them and I'll ask them, uh, hey, I'll get benefits if you use this link. A lot of my favorite cards, I don't have links to. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite cards that I do have links to, there's a better offer out there than my link. So I'll always give them the best offer. I think that would be kind of a dereliction of my fiduciary responsibility right. if I said, hey, click on my link, you get 60,000 points. Don't go to the bank. Well, they'll well, they'll give you eighty thousand points. Right. If I didn't mention that. So. So is your wallet thick? You talk about you have 10, 20 cards. Are you carrying all these cards with you? Or? No, because like like you asked me before, how many cards do I use every month? Like three or four. I mean, if I pulled out my wallet, I could maybe there's four or five in there uh, at the moment. Uh, and I'm traveling, so I you know maybe I I'm carrying my platinum card with me if I wasn't traveling. Um, you know, and then I have these uh, these special cards. These are my business cards, which are actually. Uh, credit cards. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a little shtick of mine. Yeah, um, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, his business card is an actual credit card, though I don't imagine it would work if you. No, ev- tried everyone swiping. says that. Like this card uh, is, it was made in the factory where most of your credit cards were made. I mean, that just looks like a credit card. Uh-huh. This is a credit card. This is a real stripe uh-huh. and a real chip. And um, 
the factory, which happens to be in Denver, made a bunch of these for me. I'm almost out of them, uh, but it, it's kind of special. And it, it, it's uh, I was speaking at a conference over the weekend, and and you know one of the um, the moderators says, Jason, where do you get your business card? I mean, the the whole industry knows about my business cards uh, because uh, you know they're kind of unique. Uh, I used to have these really flimsy paper cards, and I thought to myself, wait, what kind of a business card should a credit card expert have? And the answer kind of was obvious. It should look like a credit card. That's awesome. Closing remarks, right? People that didn't make it to the end of the episode and maybe there's something we didn't cover, something that you want to leave them with, a thought, a book to read that's great as it relates to credit cards. Yeah, I mean, floor's open. sadly, the book hasn't been written. I think I'm going to write it. Okay. Uh, but it's a fun hobby. You know, like I said, if you could travel as much as you want or... In your case, if you could just get two, three, four, five percent off everything you spend, is it worth it? And the answer is only if you pay your bills on time and don't carry a balance, then you're absolutely leaving money on the table if 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 you don't look into reward cards, spend some time uh, finding the best card for you. If you don't want to spend that time, if you're you look, I don't change my oil, I take my car to the mechanic, they change my oil, mm-hmm. right? If you're that kind of a person. You know, look me up on jasonsteel.com. I'm happy to do an award travel consult. Meet some of your your viewers, your listeners. That's Steel um, with three E's, right? Yep, S-T-E-E-L-E. Uh, e, steel with an E on the end. Right, gotcha. Uh, and uh, you'll see on the on the menus, award travel consults. Um, and I enjoy helping people. I, I love my job. I love my career. You know, people, when we talk about free travel, there's always a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. They're always having a good time. They're always getting... Okay, I'll leave you with one last story because it's local. Yeah, uh, I have a cousin uh, who, uh, until very recently, lived in East Meadow, uh, Long Island, not far from here, and she was a um, employee of Denver, um, not Denver. I'm sorry, New York school system until she retired recently. And f- my whole life, she would she would take one trip a year, often to a wedding or bar mitzvah, uh, and and we'd we'd see them. And once I got into this, and she found out about it, I taught her how to do this. And it changed her life. She said now instead of keeping up with her family on Facebook, she visits her family and spends mm. time with them. Uh, instead of taking one trip a year, she travels um, all the time. Not not all the time, but as much as she has time for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and she's it almost brought her to tears because it just changed. Her father lives in Florida. She and her husband just retired to Denver, but she can still fly back here to New York to keep up with her friends. Uh, and it's it's. Uh, whereas before travel was something she could afford once a year. Now, like, like I said, she just uses the airlines like a, like a bus service and goes wherever she wants and it's, could truly change your life if that's what you're interested in. I'm sure it brings you much joy to hear these success stories. It, 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 it does. And we've gotten closer with her and her family. Um, we've gotten closer to people um, in our family who live um, around the country and, and even overseas. Um, I, you know, when, when my wife and I got married, she was like, we have to go back to Israel every year to to see family. I need a falafel. Yeah, I need a falafel, right. And I just, I don't think I could have afforded doing that, right. you know, with three kids, even in economy. And I would have dreaded the economy flight. Mm-hmm. And now I look forward to the business class flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I look forward to visiting uh, as often as, as we can. Awesome. Jason, well, we thank you for visiting us. And if anyone has any questions, you know where to find Jason. We'll put all the links and as many of the recommendations for the websites in the show notes. And we appreciate you coming down. Thank you. It's been great to be here. This week's episode is sponsored by ApprovedFunding.com. Visit them for all your mortgage needs. Also, thank you to Kolal Chabad, 
please help Israel's neediest with a much needed donation. Links are below. If you need help with your finances, budgeting, you are in school and you want to bring a curriculum over there, visit our friends at livingsmarterjewish.org. Hit up Zevi Wallman, tell him we say hi, and you'll be on a much better path towards financial freedom. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. We have some really exciting episodes planned. We can't wait for you to see them. If you're not a YouTube subscriber, head over to YouTube, search Kosher Money or Living L'Chaim. There are many other shows that my brother Yaakov is creating, Inspiration for the Nation. They even have a new therapy-related episode series coming out. It's going to be really cool. Subscribe, subscribe, like, and follow. Tell your mom about us. We love you. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week. Keep your money kosher. Living L'chaim.